0: I mean backs I mean it's like our the first the first line of the of my book is our lives are lived one conversation at a time and I really I really think it's true pretty much everything in our lives comes out of good dialogue good connections
1: welcome back guys to the max out show where today i'm joined by the conversation master himself daniel stillman daniel is the author of good talk and an expert on designing transformative conversations and so today we'll take a deep dive into why conversations matter and how to make them better daniel welcome to the show
0: max thanks for having me here happy monday
1: Happy Monday. I'm so excited to have you. And so in your book, you talk about interface as one of the core elements yeah. of conversation. And I want to now take you, you know, to get this started virtually back to the laundry room. It's where uh-huh. I see you smiling. It's where I met my best friend in college. And I also noticed one of the biggest transformative events in your life. So what happened in the laundry room that really launched this career for you? <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, thanks thanks for by the way, thank you for the introduction and and thanks for like clearly having read the book, which is <laughs> awesome. You know, here's the thing like let's I'll take two things. Like interface is really important because like the place a conversation happens shapes it. And when you were talking about a laundry room, you, you when we used to all like be in dorms and do laundry together, like the laundry room became the interface for the cer- a certain type of conversation. You're waiting for your dry your clothes to dry and there's kind of nothing to do but talk to somebody. And that space has a certain kind of script and it encourages a certain type of conversation. So that's that's just like way off left field. But just for your listeners to understand, when I say the interface for a conversation, the space that the conversation is in affects the conversation. For me, my, I don't know, the inciting point of me at least where I decided to start the story in, in the book, for me, there was this moment of speaking before, when I thought someone was done speaking. And I, I know we've all had that experience of, we ask a question, somebody says something, and they were thinking of the next thing we're going to say, and we think that they're, they've paused, and we start asking our next question And as we ask our next question, they start to say something else. And I remember this moment so well. I was like, oh, wait, what were you about to say? And they're like, oh, no, never mind. Uh, Oh, I can't remember. Uh, Just say whatever you were going to say. And it's crushing. It's crushing for me because at that point in my career, I was a young user researcher. I was going into people's homes. I was trying to understand what their lives were like, what their problems were with the technology that they were using. We were trying to innovate And it was my job to like ask them really good questions and get really good information from them. And Max, this did not just happen once. I know I only told this story once in the book, but this happened all the time. Like it's so common for me to be processing and thinking about where things should go or could go instead of just pausing for a moment and trying to get more from what somebody just said. And I think this is one of the amazing things. And, and you said I'm an expert. I'm definitely not. I'm more of a fan of conversations. One of the things that's amazing is we can think and talk at very, very different rates. People can talk at like 100, 125 words per minute. We can think at thousands of words per minute, which means A, when somebody's speaking, there's probably more that they wanted to say than they could say. And B, like when someone's talking it's so easy for our inner dialogue to just go a mile a minute in all sorts of different directions. And I think this is just important to recognize when you're really trying to connect and communicate with someone that there are all these other factors that can make it hard to do.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's such a vital point. And, and I mean, just for our listeners, I probably cut you off before we started this call like three times right? Like in the first <laughs> couple of minutes of chatting, right? Which Obviously, it's a little it's harder, natural. like talking talking virtually. And still, it's it's this very but, but it thing. is natural.
0: So it, yeah, well, I mean, and we're also in this in this uh, in the digital space. Like we have a little bit of a lag, and so it can sometimes be like, oh, is he talking? Is he finished? Is he done? I don't know. And these are things to be aware of when we're designing conversations if we want to have real deep communication with people. In my culture, I'm a Jewish American New Yorker. We have a style of speaking that's called collaborative overlap, where we are constantly talking over each other, being trying to like helpfully finish each other's sentences and, you know, agreeing, disagreeing simultaneously. Some people find it annoying. It's not for everybody. There's some people who really just like want to say their whole thing wait, I'm finished now. You speak, I'm finished. You speak now versus like constantly overlapping. And this is just goes to like, what is your preference and what is your style? And what can you deal with? Can you, can you have a conversation with somebody where they're just going to go everywhere a mile a minute, or does it always have to be plotting? And these are important things to realize when we're designing better conversations.
1: Absolutely, and definitely want to dive into that later on. But first of all, I wanna you know ask you the big question, which is why? Why do conversations matter so much in our lives?
0: I mean facts. I mean it's like our the first the first line of the of my book is our lives are lived one conversation at a time. And I really I really think it's true. Pretty much everything in our lives comes out of good dialogue, good connections. Think of a job interview, right? Think of every meeting that happens every day. Think of every terrible idea you've seen launched at a Super Bowl. Every terrible ad. Like think of like the the like the Caitlyn Jenner Pepsi commercial that just just everyone was like, "What was that?" That was terrible. That was a conversation that happened in the room. There was a room that had a meeting where everyone said, yeah, let's do that. That's a good idea. That was a dialogue that happened, right? Like, that's what I mean when I say conversations matter, right? There was a room of people uh, in the southern states of America after the Civil War that they said, you know what? We should pass some laws that make it harder for black people to vote. Like, that's a conversation that happened. Literally, a group of people said, yeah, let's pass this law. Let's pass all of these laws. Let's enforce these laws. Let's go lynch that guy. I mean, not to get – I don't want to get too heavy on you, but this is really what's going on. And now there's a conversation today in America and in the world where it's like, oh, racism is everywhere. We should talk about that. And some people are like, I don't want to talk about that. That's really hard. Critical race theory is trying to – there's people who are trying to ban critical race theory – in America and all critical race theory says is we should look at race and its effects on people's institutions and lives that they live in and to like ban a conversation because it's too controversial to have. That's what I mean when I say conversations matter. There's a whole book. uh, Ojiomu Alolu wrote a book called So You Want to Talk About Race. It's an amazing book. I recommend it to everybody. It's hard to talk about race if you're not used to it and you want to be right. And it hurts to feel like you're bad because maybe you've benefited from structural racism in the past. Those are hard conversations, right? So there's everything from the big cultural conversations about race to the small conversations that get bad advertisements on shelves to get terrible laws made to the conversations that you have with yourself, Max, about do I deserve this? Do I want this? What should I do? Um, I want to ask for this, but I don't know if I can. Those are the negotiations you have with yourself before you're even willing to negotiate with someone else. So this is when I say conversations matter. I'm not just talking about like two people talking in a laundry room. Not that those aren't important, but I'm talking about from the conversations you have with yourself which determine whether you're willing to have a conversation with someone else about what you want to conversations that groups of people have about what we should make or what we should definitely not make to much, much bigger conversations about how to change the entire system that we live in. Those are the conversations that really, really matter.
1: Wow. That's such an important point. And I want to dive deeper into that because you also <laughs> share this concept of there's some conversations in our lives that we can have and there's others that we can't have. Yeah. That equally contribute to mm. the quality of our lives and the quality really of the results that we're creating. So can you share that difference yeah. between can and can?
0: Well, I mean, I think the easiest way to explain that is uh, if you've ever felt like you're like, oh my god, I want to ask that person out, but I I can't, I couldn't. I can't. Mm. Like they'll just reject me. There's no way that they will ever say yes to going out on a date with me. And so you don't ask, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like that's terrible. And we've all been in that situation. Uh, There, I would, I can't apply for that job, right? There's no way that I I could apply for that job. I won't even, I I could never get that job. So I will not apply for that job. And so those are classic examples of uh, you don't get you can't get what you don't ask for what you're not willing to engage or negotiate in and with and for right like oh man the boss will never give me a raise or they will never go for this idea right so those are you know those are conversations we literally can't have and if you're not willing to have them then you not they will not happen um very very unlikely that Uh, Your boss will stop by your desk and say, Max, I was wondering, would you like a raise? It's been a couple of, you know, we we, we haven't done that for a couple of pay cycles we've passed you over. And I'm just wondering, you know, it seems it it happens, but it's rare. So this is really about um, asking the ability to ask for and to design the conditions for a transformative conversation, right? So to say like, hey would you like to go out with me? That's one way to ask for what you want, but to say like, Hey, I've got two tickets for this really cool event. Would you like to join me? That's a different way. Or to say like, Hey, uh, me and some friends are, uh, you know, we're going to go over uh, to this field and do, you know, we're going to go for a walk. Would you like to join us? That's another way to ask somebody to join you. And so this is why the art of invitation I put uh, on the conversation OS canvas that's, uh, you know, the structure of my book is around these nine elements that I've found are easiest to see and highest impact to shift conversations and invitation. The ability to begin a dialogue, to begin a conversation that will hopefully get you what you want uh, and to be in dialogue with someone else. Like, that's it. Like, if you can't invite a conversation, then you, the odds are it won't happen without you.
1: Absolutely. And just to drive home this importance of, you know, seeking out these conversations that we think we may not be able to have, or we think we can have. There's this amazing yes. uh, quote by Tim Ferriss, who said something along the lines of the quality or the results of your life are in direct proportion to the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. And yes. that's just what this yeah. reminds me of, right? Like going up to a person oh, asking, totally. for that or asking for a raise, those are uncomfortable conversations that we have to have. if We want to take our lives to the next level or improve some aspect of our lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple of equivalent ish quotes where I think it's Tony Robbins. Other people have said something like, if you do what you have always done, you'll get what you have always gotten. And to me, I think of conversations as having this direction in our lives, having a direction and, a powerful conversation can shift the direction of your life. They can be hinge points for your life. And the example I give, you know, talk about uncomfortable conversations. I've been fired uh, maybe at least three times in my life, probably more. And I'm actually good friends with at least one of those bosses, Because I remember, this was like well into me doing my conversation design thinking and work, and I remember when he uh, was like, you know, there's some issues and we're going to have to break ties, and I was really, I was heartbroken, but I really leaned into it very hard. Talk about difficult or uncomfortable conversations. I tried to just really seek to understand his perspective and to connect as a human being, and we were able to stay connected as human beings. You know how easy we all know how easy it is to shrink away from a difficult conversation. And that's where I think one of the biggest challenges in in negotiation theory they call it your like aspiration value, the question of like how much do you think you deserve, how much are you willing to ask for, uh what you think you're capable of, like what your how much discomfort are you willing to endure? And that is a fundamental feature of Humans who are willing to design the conversations that matter is is kind of is kind of the what what Angela Duckworth would call grit, the willing to willingness to face it, and to think about mm, how can we change this.
1: Absolutely love that. I want to go back to these. This conversation operating system that you talk about. Uh, you mentioned this invitation. <laughs> yeah. I think this is such a key component because what I found at least oftentimes this is the hardest part, right? Just mm. getting a conversation to start with <laughs> someone else, you know, getting this conversation started, right? It's yes. always this short moment yeah. where you're like you don't really know what to expect, right? Now I know you're super nice, fun guy. Yeah i didn't know that right and so there's always this sort of unease that we feel whenever we start to open someone yeah. into a conversation so how can we you know make yes. that whole process more effective
0: boy it is a tough one there's a lot of ways to unpack that i think one of the things that's worth laying out as true is that worrying about the worst is totally natural And has what is, is probably what's kept us, us, you and I, our ancestors alive for millennia, right? So uh, anticipating the worst is something I think many of us are just better at. Our muscles, our mental muscles are highly attuned to uh, all of the ways it could go wrong. And it is much, much harder to think about what the best thing that could happen would be, right? And one mental exercise that is worth doing is uh, to allow yourself to make a list of everything terrible that could happen and all of the things that you're worried about. And the list may not be as long as you think it is a classic thing we say is like a million things could go wrong. Right. If you've ever watched the wolf of wall street or, or read uh, his, his book um, about sales, people were saying like, Oh my God, there's like a million things that people say during the sales process, they have a million objections. And he was like, well, how many objections are there? And they're like, there's, they, they, they objected to this, this, and this, and then they, they run out of fingers very quickly. They're like, that's ah, like, 10 9 7 12 14 whatever make a list of everything that you think could go wrong and then organize it by likelihood like from super likely to less likely and then look at it you know this is this is going into the pit so like this conversation will never work they'll never say yes i can't get what i want just make a list of everything terrible that could go wrong and then sit it over there i mean set a timer give yourself 10 minutes Give yourself thirty minutes. Take a half a day off to fully wallow. If this conversation is really important, just figure out everything that go wrong, and then make a list of everything that could go right. Think of like what's the best thing that could happen. Think of why it's important to you to engage in this conversation. Think about all of the reasons why it might be important to them too. I think this is one of the things we do very often as we think about ourselves. I'll just use I statements. I think about myself. It takes. Empathy with another person takes work. Well, why would this benefit them? What's in it for them? Why might they say yes? Well, maybe they're excited. Maybe they're just waiting for this invitation. And so making a list of everything terrible, everything amazing, and then looking at both of them and realizing that the truth is usually someplace in the middle. And then just doing what you want, what you think you need to do, what needs to be done, finding the courage As Shakespeare said, screw your courage to the sticking place and admit to yourself that you want what you want. And then think about what does the other person want? The invitation, a powerful invitation lies between that space, believing in what I want and hoping that they want the same thing. I think Emerson said, it's a kind of genius to think that what is true in our own heart of hearts is true for all people. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. It's possible. I think we. it's so much easier to wallow in the negative. It is so much harder to give it the time and space it really needs to like time box the wallowing and then time box the anti-wallowing and then see what you can get out of that conversation with yourself. And that's what I mean by designing a conversation, by the way. That's a design for a conversation, you know, getting out the timer Ten minutes of wallowing, ten minutes of anti-wallowing, and then ten minutes of, well, what is likely, and then can I design the invitation to to create the conditions for the conversation that I want to have? Set aside thirty minutes. Uh, Things might suck less at the end of it.
1: (laughs) Daniel, I, I so much love this process, and there's there's so many nuggets of wisdom here that I want to dive a little bit deeper into. First of all, I. I Thank love you. the idea of time boxing, that wallowing, that worrying, that frustration, whatever it may be. Yes. I think the tendency that we have as human beings is we tend to just let it run our entire day, right? So we're worried about something that yes. might be happening next week. We don't just think about it for five minutes. No, all day long, we're like, what if this happens? And like, it, it just suppresses, right? We circle, like you say, right? In just yes. our heads, we like so, go all the spirals. N- and so i love this idea of really yeah in that time and and deliberately in that moment then consciously engaging with this idea and figure out the best solution for it um also then so this, the,
0: if i may add something not for nothing in that design for that conversation we're leveraging at least one other element of the conversation operating system which is cadence because as you said a natural cadence is like the kind of like wallowing or we think about it all day. It keeps coming back over and over again, but actually sitting down and saying, okay, 10 minutes of wallowing, go. 10 minutes of anti-wallowing, go. That's designing the cadence of the conversation to be sharper, clearer, and crisper rather than just like long, slow, and languid. Not for nothing, having a long, slow, languid conversation versus a tight, time-boxed one It's a choice. There's nothing wrong with taking a day off to really wallow in something. I think it's great. People don't do enough long, slow, languid conversations with themselves, like going to the museum for a whole day and just wondering about life. Those are very important conversations to have, to like just take that kind of time off. Slow conversations are just as valuable as fast conversations. We just happen to have a very high cultural preference for sprints. But they are effective for certain types of transformation. And so to me, the the thing that I think about when it comes to designing a conversation, it's variety and shifting things. So it's like slow and repetitive, tight and time boxed. That's a solution for that. And slow and relaxed is the antidote for our mostly modern malady of tight and time boxed on everything else. Got to have both.
1: love that and it's also so funny i find to see how quickly you can shift from one mode to the next where one for one you know 10 minutes you're sitting there wallowing you're frustrated you're worried and then you make that shift you switch that focus whether it's just with yourself or with a conversation partner and all of a sudden the, the mm. whole light that you're shining on onto that completely different opposite side of the whole idea yeah. It changes the whole game. It changes your emotional state. It changes your physical state. It changes how you think about the world. And so I found that very powerful, this switching back and forth and deliberately learning how to do that.
0: It's not easy. It takes emotional agility. And it is important. You're absolutely right. But it's not easy to do. It's one of the reasons why people read self-help books. It's the reason why people get coaches... Or therapists or why people talk to their partners or their friends, because it's sometimes much easier to shift the interface of the conversation from all my head to uh, putting it in someone else's head and in the space between us. That can be transformative, too.
1: Absolutely. So so talk to us about goals of conversations. Uh you sort of alluded to this a couple of times. Yes. When you're actually thinking about your own goal going into a conversation, also the other person's goal. So how do we sort of structure this, yes. this whole goal narrative in our lives?
0: Well, I mean, this is one of the fundamental aspects of empathy, right? The realization that other people exist. <laughs> and want other things than us and trying to really understand what their goals with. Yeah. What amazing, right? Other people have a whole life and want things and they have their own reasons for wanting those things. But really, I mean, in some of the organizations that I work with, the big question that comes up over and over again is alignment. Are we aligned and who has the decision-making rights? And in the modern era, it's really challenging because, because of technology, we can almost do anything we want to do, right? We could build anything. The question is, what could we build? What should we build? What would most benefit the customer, our stakeholders, our stock price, right? Uh, The ecosystem, the future of our children. And so this is when we talk about goals there are all these stakeholders, all these people in the conversation, and the question is, whose goals do we listen to? How do we navigate this field of goals? And in the book, I talk about some of my favorite tools to try and clarify, A, what we want, and B, what other people want, and to really make that space all of the goals and aims clear, it can be really scary when I, when I teach and coach teams on collaborative intelligence, it can be scary to think about, well, like, but what if we don't agree, right? What if you have your goal and I have mine, then what? Well, then we can have a conversation. That's what, then what? But there has to be a willingness to say, I want this and this is why I want this. What do you want and why do you want what you want? And then say, okay, well, is there a connection between what we want and what we need? This is the kind of like the breakup. I keep coming back to relationship conversations because they're, the, they're so clear. It's, it's like, yeah. well, what do you want? Like, I want, this is what I want. And this is what I want. Well, can we find a way together? Is there something that we both want? Or is there power in the conversation and somebody gets to have what they want regardless of what the other person wants, right? And this is when, like, this is the question of decision-making rights and authority and, and organizational uh, authority. How do we decide whose goals get listened to? I think it's a, it's a, it's a really important question. And as I say, like, The conversations you don't have define your life. The willingness to have the conversation about, well, what do you really, really want? And being open and honest about what I really, really want. It's really challenging. Again, in negotiation theory, they talk about um, the negotiator's dilemma. There's this fear, and it's a totally legitimate fear, that if I tell somebody what I really want, then they will be able to take advantage of me, to manipulate me. And so creating a safe environment, a trusting environment where it feels comfortable to share the right amount of information to be able to move forward together is non-trivial. It takes, it takes work to build that kind of safe space and that kind of framework, but I think it's worth doing.
1: Absolutely, and I'm 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 so curious when when you talk about this because I I have the thing in my life where I really look at relationships in terms of transactional versus transformational relationships. And you know, one is the traditional tit for tat thing. Yes, and transformative to me means like when we're together, I want you to become better as a result of that. And I actually tell people that. I, I, whenever yes. I, like I really engage with people, spend a lot of time with them, I openly tell them like, hey, I'm only only looking for transformative experiences where. We push each other to the next level. Do you think there's a better way yes. of, of sort of getting into this kind of conversation? Because I'm always, of course, now you're looking for better ways to frame these conversations then.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It's looking for signals, signals of engagement, right? Um, it's... it's expecting a response and not getting one. Oh, maybe they're not as engaged. Maybe they're not as interested as I am. Right? Uh, It's when they start talking about price potentially too soon. Right? It's the question of, and then what? And what will we do after? And what's the next step after that? Some people don't think about that. And some people honestly don't want somebody to be that deeply part of their journey. But it shows your interest. It shows our interest in engaging with people. And this happens to me very often where somebody says, hey, we want a training. How much is it? And I'm like, well, that's not what I do. Um, I work with people to like create a transformation. And that means I need to understand you and your challenges. And it means I need to understand your team and their challenges. And it takes a while. It's not like a two-day workshop. It's like six to nine months of, of deep Of deep work. And for some people, it can be like, oh, well, and then sometimes I have this feeling myself, Max, where it's like, oh, well, I just, I'm just squeezing it out. I, you know, they're just like, oh, you just want a longer transaction versus really, really wanting to understand what their real challenges are and how to make a real shift on it. And I think that's just an invitation, right? There's some people where you make that invitation and they go, yeah, that sounds really good. I really would like a partner in that. And there's some people who are like, "Yeah, we're just looking for uh a service provider." Right? And I think that's it's it's being honest and open about what your needs and your wants are. People will respond to that. Hopefully, you know, as the old movie says, let the right one in. So I think having that perspective on transaction versus relation is really important. It's non-trivial. It's not, it's not easy to do. I think it's so much easier to have a transaction. Yeah. Certainly in a capitalist society, the idea of productizing your offering and having a very, very clear fixed price makes it so much easier for people to engage with you. (laughs) But uh, it also limits the impact you can have, I think.
1: That is so interesting. So was that sort of a deliberate choice of yours really from the start to to only engage in these long-term commitments um, rather than these sort of shorter, more transactional types of things?
0: No, absolutely not. When I first started working as, uh, you know, when I transitioned from user experience design to coaching teams on design thinking and facilitation, I loved the transactional aspect of the work. Like it was so much easier than the long drawn out consulting process that I was a part of as a designer. I was like, this is great. You just give me money and I come and I do a thing for you and we high five and everyone's happy at the end of it. But then there comes this question of like, there's the hangover where it's like, oh, what happened with that? Oh, I don't know. Actually, I don't know because I went off and I did like three other things, and everyone it was happy at the moment. But then, what happened afterwards? Would I, you know? Circling back six months or a year later, or two years later, being like, "Hey, what did happen with that?" I, I actually need some client referrals. Uh, did I do a good job? Two years is a little late to. <laughs> for that to to one, to carry okay, again, through that conversation. Yeah, they've already changed jobs at this point and that's just like again, <clears throat> it it's transactional. Oh, I need a a referral. Can I have one now? And that's just con- in, in <laughs> keeping the the transactional relationship going whereas I think maybe it was just a process of like growing up for me from This is, again, a terrible dating analogy. I was just like, you know, wanting to date around versus like wanting to have real deeper relationships with people. And that's something that there's nothing wrong with uh, being James Bond your whole life and traveling the world constantly and, you know, having having romantic affairs in every casino you step into. It's certainly a romantic ideal, um, but a lot of people are shooting at you. I mean, come on. It's not, I don't know if it's a life if I don't know if it's a permanent lifestyle choice that's workable. and so for me, I think I would I definitely over the last I don't know five years started to realize that having uh fewer clients that I did more interesting and deeper work with was much, much more desirable than having lots and lots of clients that I did shorter and easier work with uh but it's you know it's it's a constant evolution for me I, I wouldn't say that i'm i'm great at it or that i'm you know i've i've cracked that nut but for me in my personal conversational dynamics my own operating system like that's what i i want more of in my work and so i've slowly shifted my business over in that direction
1: Daniel, i have to say i love the metaphors you're using <laughs> Love to say <laughs> thank Super you curious how often do you actually go about in you know, designing conversations in your life so is it every time that you step outside your your bedroom mm. or
0: <laughs> oh man well here's the thing max i have to say i like i've had this quote this conversation with my mother before where she's like daniel i don't always want to be designing my conversations and i say mom that's a design choice and she's like oh you're right <laughs> So here's the thing. I think we are all always designing all of our conversations and I'll, and I'll tell you in which ways. So there's this classic Steve Jobs quote. You have to be careful quoting Steve Jobs, because you have to remember that Steve Jobs was an asshole. Um, Nevertheless, uh, he. he said some things that were smart, like, you know, design isn't how it looks it's how it works, right? That's a classic Steve Jobs quote. There's another classic Steve Jobs quote about how he realized that everything in the world was designed by someone else and that that meant that it could be designed by another person. That person was not particularly more, I'm, I'm mangling and overextending the quote, but the idea that. That person who designed what they designed, they designed it based on everything they knew at the time. And it's not to say that what they designed is perfect or immutable or permanent. We are living in a world full of already existing conversation designs. If you have an app, as I do, like Calendly, there's this idea of like, oh, can we have a quick chat? That's 15 minutes. Hey, like, can we have a sit down, like a 30 minutes? Like, let's have a, can we have like an hour long meeting? Like, Ooh, wow. Okay. Now it's starting to like, we're getting some commitment. I remember somebody reached out to me and they were like, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain. Here's like a 15 minute meeting. And I'm like, well, you're not going to get a lot of brain for 15 minutes. I appreciate it. Similarly, my wife is very, very conscientious about helping kids who are coming up trying to get into her field, which is ESG, uh, sustainability, environmental, social governance stuff. It's very important to her. It's a really important line of work. And so she's very, very conscientious about helping people, but she's sometimes shocked. She comes to the dinner table and she's like, can you believe this kid sent me an hour-long invitation for a brain picking? Like, (laughs) like that's 30 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) Right. But I mean, this is a podcast interview. It's like,
1: yeah.
0: it's, it's different. So to say like, oh, can I pick your brain? Here's a two hour uh, meeting. You're like,
1: what? Well, all right, yeah. Who
0: the hell that. do you think you are? Wow. Okay. Like that's kind of baller. You're like, oh, well, let's have a workshop. Like let's do a full day workshop. No, let's do a week long sprint. These are designs that exist in the world and we are living with them when we book a meeting room and we go into a conference room that room as we as i said when we started off with laundry rooms boardrooms have a, have a script my friend fred dust who wrote a book called making conversation which is a lovely book i i that phrase is his spaces have a script those long boardrooms with a screen at one end and who sits At the head of the table furthest away from the screen, the big boss, right? If you've ever tried to have a collaborative meeting in one of those long boardrooms, they're terrible. There's hardly any wall space. I've done these in WeWorks where one side is is frosted glass and the other is um, felt or brick. And they're like, well, or felt and brick, most likely. Some exposed brick, some felt, right? The brick is for vibe and the felt is for sound dampening. And they're like, great, we've designed this meeting room. Well, what kind of a meeting is supposed to happen there? The kind of meeting where someone talks to a screen. Well, what kind of a fucking meeting is that? That's not a brainstorming session. That's not a collaborative meeting where you know we break up into some small groups and then come back together. It's almost impossible to have one of those meetings in those rooms. I've done it. It's really hard. And so when I say are we designing our conversations all day? Yes. Either they're being designed for us or we are designing them. Every time we say, "Hey, can I talk to you for a second?" we are following a script. And also writing the script. And the other person is trying to co-design the conversation with us. If you've ever... And oh man, I tried to meet with somebody where it was like, oh, let's meet uh, in person. And I was like, cool. That's interesting. Because it's like, oh, well, where should we meet? Like, well, can we meet in the middle? No, well, I'm going to be staying here. Like, okay, well, so who's going to go to who? We're both trying to co-create where we're going to go. Right. So, yeah, I'm always designing my conversations, but also so are you. And we're either doing it on purpose, consciously, intentionally to try and create the kind of life and world that we believe should or could exist. Or we're following the already existing scripts and not doing what Steve Jobs uh, suggested we could do, which is remake the world as we see fit.
1: Wow, that's this a long idea of answer. Too. really seems to be the the silver lining throughout this conversation, where we can either go by these default choices that we've been using our entire lives, so that we've been taught by our parents and our yeah. peers and companies and whatever. Or we start to think about it in more creative ways what it sounds like, you know, to figure out really what's yeah. the best way to actually go approach this, so we can reach our goals.
0: Yeah. And there's a classic example of, um, I think it was Paul Graham who wrote like the makers versus managers essay. There's a classic. You can Google it if you can't find it. Uh, The idea that our, our days should be chunked up into lots of short meetings is the manager's schedule. Right? We talk about context switching and going from uh, wallowing to anti-wallowing and the kind of emotional agility that's required for that. It's actually really hard. And so many people have back-to-back meetings all day, every day, especially if you're at a certain level uh, in a company, if you're managing teams or managing people or managing projects. All day is, is meetings. That's crazy. Like, when do you actually do the work? Well, at 10 p.m. after you put your kids to bed, you catch up on a couple more emails and then you like finish up a deck. So this is where uh, Graham talked about the makers versus the manager schedule. Like to really make something great, you need to have a long, slower conversation with yourself, with yourself. It's hard to even sit down to work on a big task knowing you only have an hour there's something crazy about it. You need, sometimes you need two hours. Sometimes you need to just feel like you have the whole day to get started. And this is why I just really love protecting my time. a la the maker's schedule to just say, you know what? I'm going to keep this big chunk for myself to think about what, These some of these bigger questions, these bigger issues or bigger projects that I need to do. So those are conversations that we are designing with ourselves. If you respond to every meeting invite that is sent to your way, you are letting someone else design all of your conversations. Even just asking somebody, hey, is there an agenda for that meeting? Do I have to be there? Like, what is the goal of this meeting? How can I best contribute? That's designing the conversation. And if they say, oh, I hadn't thought of it. I just thought you might want to be there. Oh, cool. Well, I don't need to be there. I'd love to be there. But if I don't have to be there, I won't be there. That's designing the conversation. Instead of saying, what is this goddamn invite you sent me, Max? Like, what the hell? You're just crowding up my inbox, right? That's designing your conversations as well for maximum aggression. Right? And there's definitely some people who are clearly designing their conversations (laughs) for maximum aggression.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And just for our listeners, you know, that's what Daniel was practicing, right? As we we're about to, to start recording this, he asked me literally, like, what's the best way I can serve your audience, right? That's setting up a conversation in a way where you can actually create the maximum impact for everyone that's listening. Um, and so I'm yeah. really curious about this idea of, you know, talking to yourself versus in a dialogue versus mm-hmm. in a group or in a larger community. How do those yeah. conversations change as we add 30? Oh my god! To a conversation.
0: I mean, what have you noticed, Max? Like, how does how does a conversation change when it's a two person conversation versus a three person conversation? Like, what's the shift?
1: I think that the big one I've noticed is obviously more listening, right? More mm. downtime where someone else is speaking and. You're actually just sitting yeah. there and listening and hopefully taking it all in.
0: Yeah. This is a really good point. When there's two people in a conversation, it's kind of natural to believe that both people ought to share a reasonably equal amount. And I think if you remember back in the day when you'd have in person coffees with someone, like a yeah, catch up, there's some friends where they're like, you know, you say, "Hey, what's how's it going, Max?" And they're like, "Oh my god, blah 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 blah." And then even if they just talk a lot, at some point, about halfway, about halfway through the hour-long coffee, they'll go, "Oh my god, I have just been chewing your ear off. How are you doing?" Right? That's just it's just natural. It's the script, right? When there are three people in a conversation, it's more complex because there is more listening. It can be harder to break into the conversation. We've all had that experience of being on the sidelines, being like the literal third wheel in yeah. like a really like fluid two-person conversation where I'm like, uh, you guys seem to be getting along really well. And I'm, gonna go. I'm f- feeling like I should – be someplace else is that will you notice when i leave because i feel like you don't notice me right now because i feel invisible so there can be that feeling of like hey it can be great to have that third person to observe and to be listening and to be and like hey what are you noticing about this dynamic oh well that's why people have judges right there's like two sides right there's the the two lawyers and they're they're two uh uh i'm blanking out on the word their clients. And then there's a judge, but then there's a third, there's a fourth party. There's the jury. Have you ever watched the movie? 12 angry men.
1: Never watched it.
0: It's a, it's a classic black and white movie. Henry Fonda. I watched it in junior high school. So the, the new, the United States jury system, I, I must confess slight ignorance to other countries, uh, Judicial systems, but in the United States of America, we have you know the twelve uh, a jury of your peers for certain types of cases, and in this movie, it started as a play spoiler alert it 's a really old movie, so just sorry to deal you know to to tell you what happens but everybody in the jury believes that it 's an open shut case they 've heard all the arguments and they 're off they 're locked in they 're deliberating. It's a hot day in in this, this little room, and this is before air conditioning. And everyone's like, well, obviously the kid did it. And they're like, let's just do it. And it has to be unanimous. And this one guy, Henry Fonda, is like, I think that there is reasonable doubt. And they spend – the whole movie is just the dialogue of – pushing and pulling on that conversation you think about a a two versus a three person conversation a 12 person conversation where anybody can talk at any time is complex to say the least and he slowly but surely gets more and more people to doubt the evidence and to realize that the kid very well could be innocent and is just was in the wrong place at the wrong time when you think about those conversations larger conversations are more complex. As soon as you go from one to two, it's complex. (laughs) From two to three is a major shift. Four, five, six. I coached, I mean, this came up recently in an executive leadership session where the CEO of this major brand was like, this was a really great session. I'm like, well, what do you think made it possible? He's like, well, we all like shared equally. We all spoke and we all listened He's like, I guess, and we were just a really good size, and you facilitated us well. And I was like, yeah. And so if you have a 30-person meeting, is this possible? No, it's not. There was this light bulb that he realized that you can't have everybody from marketing in one all-hands meeting and have it actually be as productive as seven people having a really deep insightful forward moving conversation there's nothing i mean 12 i don't know why it's 12 why is it 12 people in, a, in 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 a jury it's a lot of people and somehow henry fonda managed to wrangle all of those people and to and to stick to his his truth and slowly move the conversation over to this is an open and shut case to should we send this kid to jail Right. And so that's the size of a, of a group is so powerful. And look, I love having big parties. They're super fun. And having a dinner party of six is totally different and can be harder for me in a way. There's, it's so easy to hide in a big party. I love hiding in a big party. Everything's going on. And I can just sort of step back and make sure there's enough food for everybody. Yeah, and I can just make sure that there's enough food there and talk to people whenever I want to. Six people, there's no place to hide around a round table of six. And I think more meetings should be more small for these reasons, right? More people having deeper, more intentional conversations and fewer people loafing at the sides,
1: Absolutely love that. Now, Daniel, we talked about so many good ideas and tips and tools today. If you could give our listeners just one challenge or one action step to take away from today, what would be that one thing?
0: Oh, man, it's a good one. Uh, the first thing that came up into my mind is just do an inventory, right? Think about the conversations in your lives and think about which ones are working free, which ones are fluid and fun, which ones are hard or stuck. and one of the things that I like to coach people on is look at what the one can learn from the other. Look at the conversations that are going well and think about how you can steal patterns and principles and perspectives to redesign your more challenging conversations. So steal good ideas from your, your easy, fun and fluid conversations and find ways to reimagine your more challenging conversations to, to make them as you would hope they could be, and to trust yourself that you can create that future if you want to, if you're willing to put in the effort.
1: Love that. Now, where can listeners find you online?
0: I'm on the internet. It's so easy to find me. I am I'm DanielStillman.com is my personal website. You can find a lot of my writing there. And the conversation com is my podcast. And on both of those websites, you can find links to download chapters uh, for free of good talk, which is my book, which is all about how to design conversations that matter. And uh, yeah, on the conversationfactory.com you can, there's tons and tons of free downloads and also free podcast episodes where we, you know, I unpack a lot of these ideas about designing conversations. So there's, you could spend easily uh, an afternoon <laughs> to set aside some time and uh, comb through the back catalog. There's a lot there.
1: Definitely a worthy afternoon of your life. <laughs> so, what does it mean for you, Daniel, <laughs> to max out your life?
0: To max out my life? I mean, boy, that's a great question. I think more of what you want and less of what you don't want, right? Just to really look at what feeds you, right? What sustains you, what gives you joy and make sure there's as much of that as possible. 100%.
1: Love that. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: It's my pleasure, man. Thanks for the great questions and the opportunity to share some of these ideas. Honestly, I think it can change the world if people Are more thoughtful about their conversations so i appreciate the opportunity to to share these ideas with your listeners
1: all right guys that's it for today i really hope you enjoyed this episode i hope you gained some valuable ideas tips tools tricks mindsets belief systems that hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level at the end of the day guys it's all about application the only thing that's gonna set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really wanna challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life, to really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, If you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.